So what are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual. Zero. Nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pop Culture Podcast. Tyson Popplestone here, fresh from a bomb in the city last night. Tried a whole heap of new material and turns out a whole heap of new material wasn't required. It was a it was a humbling experience. One of them was good. Got one laugh out of, out of six, which, um, to be fair, it was probably what I was anticipating. Nonetheless, hey, you live and you learn the ego has been reduced. The humility has been increased. I've got a lot of work to do, but uh, I tell you, it's a love-hate relationship. I love I love it and they hate my new material. <laughs> That's not funny, is it? I've just bombed again to start the show. What are we going to do? Let's move on. Today on the show, I'm joined by a friend of mine by the name of AJ Ballantyne. Now, AJ's a complex, interesting, I say complex, that never sounds like a compliment. I say it in a complimentary way. He's complex in the sense that he's he's covered a lot. He's done a lot with his time. He's a former journalist for the Herald Sun. He's worked in the world of journalism and freelance media writing for quite a long time. But after that, fun fact for you, I found out this guy was a netball coach, which, to be honest, at the time, wasn't that interested in. I didn't really have much love for netball or understanding of it, but I heard that he'd started a membership called the netballcoach.com, and I was interested in the world of memberships. Then I heard his bloody membership was going very well, so I started to ask him a few questions because outside of here, I've got a running membership of my own, and I mean, he was a wealth of knowledge, and it turns out uh, done very well for himself in the the old world of netball coaching and membership. So this conversation, it's broad and it's diverse. And don't be worried if you don't like netball because the conversation's more about memberships and what that's allowed him to do with his time because he's moved away from a almost shift style work like journalism into a world of, okay, you've got the whole day to do what you want. What are you going to do with it? And it was interesting to talk to him about that little balance and how he's navigated his way through. I think it's a question so many of us have around how do we use our time well? How do we get the most out of our time? I think AJ's a really interesting guy to talk to about that. So we talk about exercise. We talk about fitness. We talk about running and triathlon. A little bit about hydration because we both love the endurance world. We talk a little bit about journalism and what it was like at organizations like the Herald Sun and how it feels to move away from his first love in journalism to what he's doing now in the netball coaching uh, it was a, a great chat. I really hope you enjoy it. Um, give him some love. If you did, check out the Netball Coach if you're a netball coach or netball player. I've linked his website in the details below. This is a fun one. Really enjoyable for me. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. This is the man himself. For the first time on Pop Culture, AJ Ballantyne. Yeah, dude, I was, I was saying to you when we touched base on Tuesday, it's, it's funny because I reckon the last time we caught up, it must have been two and a half years ago, we were gone for a run down around uh, Yarra Bend, and we were both single men in the sense that we had no kids. We had all the time in the world, and it was only when we touched base on the phone the other day that I thought, oh, my gosh, well, I've got nearly a three-year-old and a seven-month-old. You've got one of your own. It's, uh, <laughs> it's sort of been a little while yeah. since we've caught up. I know. The world's gone. The world went crazy. and uh, Yeah, <laughs> things changed. I mean, a lot of things changed for the better, obviously, with – Having a couple of kids, and um, yeah, probably got a few more kgs on the uh, on the old frame since then as well. <laughs> you look fit. I was thinking that actually when you when your face popped up, you look like you you've still been doing plenty of training. Uh yeah, still trying to just um, yeah, keeping busy on the bike and just a bit of running. No um, no events or um, haven't done a triathlon since um, since March last year. But yeah, just in, enjoying training and and yeah, having a bit more spare time to to spend with them. Um, yeah, with our kid and uh, and obviously coaching. Yeah, man. I reckon the first time we met, it must have been, was it 2015? It was out with uh, mutual friends, Andy O'Connor, 
we were running through the the Dandenongs. I still tell people that story. There's that there's that hill that we went up in the Dandenong Ranges, and was well, it you guys? Um, you all knew about it, and you ask a very long winded question or a very a question requiring a very long winded answer at the bottom of the hill, <laughs> and then watches the person absolutely gasping for air the entire way up while you guys just sit and listen and uh yeah you got me a good one <laughs> my my recollection of that story was you outplayed me at my own game because we'd been we'd been running up there for a little while and uh, you're right we called it life story hill for whatever reason just when there was someone new out there would uh would do exactly what you said try and ask them a real long-winded story or a long real long-winded question and force them to answer but I remember asking you, and you were very direct. You, you got the job done well. And I thought, if, if I'm not uh, mistaken, I'm pretty sure you might have thrown a few questions back on me. And it, and it was uh, it turned out to backfire in a big way. But um, what were you training for back then? Were you training for Ironman as well? Because I know Andy and Brent were were sort of right in Ironman world at that stage. Yeah, I don't remember. I'm, I might have been. Um, I remember I was I was signed up for one Ironman, and then it got. It got cancelled because they had a clash with the Grand Prix, and then I just, I just never. Uh, that was the last one that was supposed to be the full Ironman in Melbourne, and then the event moved on. So, um, yeah, I mean, I could very well have been, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you, um, were you training for anything specifically through COVID? Like, I know you said you hadn't been uh, doing anything too event specific at the moment, but yeah, uh, it- yeah, I did my first, um, I did my first half Ironman. Uh, yeah, at the end of COVID, I did Geelong Half Ironman, which was which was great. I mean, once the pools opened, I could train, and yeah, I mean, it, it was all, it was almost a bit of a blessing being able to train, um, having a bit more training time, just because there was a lot less coaching going on, basically. So, I guess I used it as a bit of an opportunity to to have a go at my first half, and yeah, I mean, that was a that was an experience. I reckon I was cramping about two kilometers into the run, with so with about twenty k's to go, I'm full leg cramps and. Yeah, it, it didn't go exactly the way I wanted it to. So I um, I fronted up and did Shepherd and Half Ironman two weeks after that just to have another go and just see if, yeah, and I mean that race went a lot better. So I felt like the training was worth it, um, I guess. Um, managed to squeeze two Half Ironmans in and then, yeah, did a couple um, last year as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, said one of the very few positives to come out of COVID was, was getting the opportunity to sort of do that do that level of training. What was um? That's a pretty quick turnaround. I don't. I'm not super familiar with the triathlon world. I'm not as confident in that world as I, I am sort of with running training. But two yeah. weeks seems like a really short turnaround for something like a half a half oh, one. Is it? It was very much like wait and see how you are after a week. Like if it was a full Ironman, I'd, I'd say definitely not. You just it just um, smashes your body. And I think even if you feel good, I think once you start getting back into full training, like I know um, our mate Mark's done it before, Mark Bormanis, and he's sort of come back too early and just your body falls in a heap. So, yeah, I felt okay after a week and so I gave myself till the Tuesday, Wednesday, the following week, so about three, four days beforehand to to make a call and I was feeling all right. Um, So, yeah, you know, gave it a go and, and yeah, I I actually responded really well and, and did a much better time. So, um, yeah, just I don't know whether I was lucky or what, but um, yeah, it was good to have. It was good to be able to have another go. Yeah, what well, had you changed anything with hydration, or like what was the cause of the cramps with the first race? Do you think? I'm not sure. I went and did some salt 
um, like salt testing, like testing to see how much um, sodium I was losing through my sweat and you know, thinking that that might have been the cause because I didn't feel like I'd gone too hard on the bike or anything like that. Um, but did start to feel little twinges in my quads towards the end of the bike leg. Um, but yeah, the salt testing came back that my sweat rate was normal and and stuff. So they just said I might have just biked a little bit too hard um, on that on that leg. So yeah, just a bit of I mean you know it's your first long distance or really long distance event like that. I guess you um, you know things that you, you learn from it and and learn what your body's capable of and and learn how to sort of pace those things a little bit better. So. Um, yeah, the, the three races I've done since then have been, um, uh, well, I, was, I wouldn't say not painful, but um, less painful than that first one at least. Yeah, it's such a weird world, the hydration world. I'm kind of, I'm right yeah. in it at the moment because I'm I'm not sure if I told you on Tuesday, but I'm going to run the Melbourne Marathon this year. I had such a nasty, yeah, I had such a nasty first experience with it where I just, I think I overestimated uh, my my natural ability and underestimated how much is required to run a good marathon. Which, like, based on how many uh, marathon runners I've run with and spoken to, I mean, it was the dumbest mistake, and I, I paid for it dearly in the second half of the marathon. But one of the things that I've I've been doing at the actually I've got it right here in front of me. I um I've partnered up. I don't know if you know Precision Fuel and Hydration. I don't know who you did your sweat test through. Yeah, I use Precision um, for mine. Yeah. Yeah, these guys. I, I had Andy Blow on uh, on the Relax Running podcast, which is which is obviously my membership. I'm, I'm uh, uh, you know a little bit about that, but um, having him on, like, and just picking his brain around the hydration element, I I knew nothing. Even when I was competing as a as a middle distance runner, there was never really that much research going into um, the way to hydrate and fuel effectively. And I guess you get away with that for a certain extent over. 1500 even in the longer runs like I wasn't really running much more than 90 minutes back in the day but just trying to get my head around how to stay up with the carbs and how to replace sodium and um, you know every other electrolyte has just been such an eye-opener to me so I'm, I'm just a, I've still got like 23 weeks till the Melbourne Marathon but I've started to just try and do a little bit of research because otherwise I know I'm going to get there and um, I, I had that experience in a couple of last quarters of football as well especially early in the season <laughs> when I returned to footy from running where I would get to that last quarter and I was like, oh, something's really badly wrong. And it's a horrible feeling. And I've, I've got a mate actually who, um, have, have you heard of Sweat Elite? Sweat Elite, it's like a, it's a, a really popular YouTube channel at the moment. It's got over like 110,000 people following it. But a guy I used to race against, he runs it and he used to be an 800 meter runner. And now he's getting really close and, and trying to crack 220 for the marathon and he's been on target to to sort of run about 218 at 35k's but then for whatever reason he's he's been struggling to navigate his way through cramps and I've seen too many of his videos now to go all right well I can't let this be I can't let this be me um so he's been my inspiration to to try and dodge it how did you how did you sort of structure your your half marathon high uh, yeah Half Ironman hydration. Did you um, go in with a bit yeah, of a plan? I did, I did a full marathon as well um, a couple of years ago. That was my first one of those too. But um, and I mean, I was the same. I got to I think I got to thirty two k's and I felt amazing. And then thirty two point five k's, I felt like I've been run over by a bus. Like it just just hits just hits like within a within you know thirty seconds, you go from feeling great to feeling yeah like walking almost. So it's 
Um, and, you know, and yeah, once you, you can't undo the pace that you've done in the first part of the race, I find. So, like, if you've overdone it, you're going to be paying for it for the rest of it. So, um, but yeah, structuring the, the half Ironman training was, um, I, mean, I had Simon Hearn, who's, um, uh, was a, a pro triathlete doing my program for me, which made it a lot easier. But, you know, it was generally sort of two or three runs a week, three bikes a week, and then a couple of swims a week. I mean, I, swimming's definitely, um, yeah, a labour of love, I guess. I hate it. I just <laughs> just hate it. It's just the most monotonous, boring. I feel so jealous of the people that um, come from a swing background that are good at it and actually enjoy it because, um, yeah, those those hours in the pool are just torture for me. So, um, yeah, a couple of swims a week, sometimes three, um, and, yeah, just squeezing in what I can basically. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a big commitment. Yeah, it's a massive commitment. It's actually funny you say that because – my wife always says to me, she's like, I don't know what you enjoy so much about running. Like to her, uh, anytime she runs, that's a labor of love. She's doing it purely for the fitness results. Whereas uh, for me, I'm 100% on the same page as you. I had a couple of issues with calf strains over the last couple of months. And as a result, I found myself in the pool far more than I, I like to be in there. And obviously a mutual friend of ours, Brenton Ford, who's a swimming coach, uh, I've watched enough videos of, of his just to see what he's talking about with technique to know that what I'm doing is so, so wrong. And I must, <laughs> I must look so ridiculous. But that's the thing with running. At least you can, you can be out there looking silly, but have a podcast in your ear and see some different sights. But there's that black line at the bottom of that pool after about four laps. I go, well, this is it. Like, thank God I can only do about 2K before I, uh, I'm exhausted because, yeah, there's not much about that that interests me. No, just monotonous and boring. I mean, Brent, you know, Brendan's an amazing team. I actually did, I did one of his clinics, um, you know, in the lead up to my first half Ironman just to, you know, do a bit of, you know, just correct a bit of technique stuff because I was sure, like similar to you, I was sure that I was doing a lot of things wrong and it, like it really helped. It didn't make me enjoy it anymore, but um, it still really helped. But yeah, I mean, swimming's just one of those things. It's like you go down to the pool and, you know, you can be as strong as you want, but then you see, you know, 12-year-old kids who have literally not a muscle on their entire body and they're just so technically perfect that they're just, yeah, they're incredible. So it's um, it's one of those things that just takes a lot of time and, and refining those technical things, I think. Yeah, a lot of athletes or a lot of triathletes I've spoken to have said that it's probably the one event that if you have to be bad at something, be bad at the swim with an Ironman because it takes the least amount of time. So I guess we've got that on our side. Uh, what, what would be your strongest leg, do you reckon? Are you better on the bike or, or better at the run? Uh, always just slightly better on the run in terms of, you know, ranking within the field. Um, yeah, run and then bike and then swimming, you know, a very distant third. Um, yeah, but, I mean, you know, I enjoy cycling and running. Cycling I just enjoy because – you can get out with mates and um and do your training with with people a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, any of the land based ones basically. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I've been in the same boat as you. You said Simon Hearn wrote the program for you. He's another bloke who, uh, the last time I saw him was at Andrew O'Connor's Bucks party. I think we were looking out from the St Kilda pub at our mate Andrew locked in a cage, and uh, at that stage he was just a, a fairly good triathlete. I remember at the stage he was about to go up to um go up to the Gold Coast, I think, to, to train and compete. And it blew my mind because he was – and I, I didn't have a heap to do with him. Um, but Andrew sort of uh, every now and then would give me a bit of a heads up on how he was going. And then I saw after about 18 months of him being away that I don't know what time he 
did for the Ironman, but it was it was incredible. Like, uh, do you know do you know how yeah. fast he got through the Ironman? Oh, I couldn't tell you exact times, but I mean, you know, he won. He won a cut. Like, he, he was more sort of focusing on the on half Ironman, you know, distance events um, and building up towards doing the full. So I'm I'm sure he did a full, but I'm not sure what time he did. But you know, like he was winning. Um, you know, he won a few sort of biggish Australian events and and um, was doing really well. And like, I mean, you know, he's he's uh, yeah, he's just a physiological freak like just what he was doing on on run legs in particular was um was amazing but um yeah he's, he's taken a step back from it um uh, he moved to the sunny coast and they've settled down there but um you know he's, he's sort of decided to prioritize his career and stuff i think at the moment so he's just taken a bit of a step back and he's more into crossfit um at the moment i think he's um his wife's into it and uh yeah they're dedicating a lot of time to that so very different so funny. I, I feel like regardless of what you're funneling your energy towards, like an Ironman or a distance run, it makes perfect sense to get sick of that particular event and go, okay, I'm going to focus on CrossFit because I think we're, we're fairly similar breeds, aren't we? I've actually never done a structured CrossFit class, but I've got a couple of friends who have done it. And I, I feel like I can see a little bit of that same mindset. You just, you have to be, and I say this in a, a complimentary way, you have to be a little unhinged, a little bit crazy to be really good at it and just have the ability to punish yourself, which I think coming from, especially an Ironman world, uh, and you know Simon better than me, it's, it, it, I mean, it just makes perfect sense. So, yeah, it, have, have you found out how he's going in that world? Because, man, the, the CrossFit one's unbelievable. I've watched a couple of YouTube videos just to get a bit of a vibe of, what's going on there and people's ability and I've got so much appreciation for this some people's ability um just in endurance sports to push themselves past what should be possible really blows my mind and I think if there was one group of athletes that I I, you know you could potentially respect more than an Ironman (laughs) based on how much they punish themselves I think surely CrossFit would be in the top one or two some of the some of the I, I don't quite understand how it all works, but from what I gather, there's sort of different workouts that you do or different sort of events that you do, like as a workout. And yeah, some of them are just you know like a, a decent a decent run followed by some crazy number of reps of certain weights things, and then another run. Like it's yeah, I think um, uh, yeah. I mean, Simon said he goes there, and he's you know he's a weakling basically. Like you said, everyone's super encouraging, but like for him to go from being you know, the absolute beast in his sport to going there and, and, you know, barely being able to do some of the weights. Like, they're incredible, incredible athletes. Um, so, yeah, I think it just, you know, it takes time. It's certainly, like, a different body type that excels in um, in CrossFit versus um, triathlon where, you know, they're just carrying no weight versus CrossFit where they're, you know, quite beasty, I guess. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to see how he goes because obviously he's got the – got the engine and the strength so whether that translates i guess we'll have to wait and see yeah i reckon the only thing that works in his favor now in terms of um uh, what he's putting his energy towards is i think the average crossfit class goes for about an hour doesn't it so even if you're doing seven classes a week like what are you guys doing when you're training for your half or your fulls like you're on the bike for five or six hours some weeks yeah, I mean, you know, like it was sort of, you know, 15, 20 hours. I mean, that's just doing it as a recreational athlete. So like Simon was, I mean, it just for just from a time um, management perspective, like he was doing all these, um, like he had a treadmill and his bike trainer. So he was doing all his training inside and he'd be on the trainer like five hours at a time. Like it's just 
I don't know how people, don't know how he does it, don't know how people do that, just sit there and stare at a screen with your, you know, tucked down like this, watching Netflix for five <laughs> hours, just shooting in the legs over. Like, I'd, I'd go, you know, insane. So, um, yeah, credit, credit, credit to him for, for being able to do it for so long. But, um, yeah, not for me. Nah, I, uh, before I got on here, actually, I went to the gym and, and today was leg day. I, I had a strength session and then I'm doing five days of running at the moment just to sort of welcome my body back into some more intensive styles of running or just to build up the, the case in my legs a little bit. So, um, on the sixth day, I'm doing sort of strength and a cross training session and I was on the elliptical just for half an hour. And after about 12 minutes, I was like, I cannot believe I've got 18 minutes to go. I didn't have, I left my phone in the car, so I didn't have my phone. It was just just me and my thoughts in the gym. And I was like, this is this is an unbelievably uh, unbelievably boring task. And yeah, whether whether people are doing those Peloton rides or they've got the screen, at, I mean, regardless of how good a documentary is for five hours on a bike, it, <laughs> I've got I've got no interest. In, especially um at the moment, one thing, even with the marathon training, I'm a little nervous just on the time element of it because obviously got two kids running around here don't want to throw my wife under the bus too much it's it's almost for a a hobby athlete it's almost too big a ask for your for your wife to give you the tick of approval to start going out there and training for an Ironman let alone marathon I don't know how she's going to cope when I get into like the 30k long run period but at least they're only there for (laughs) seven or eight weeks yeah, correct, correct. But yeah, it's a it's a very fine line. I think we tread sometimes between um, yeah what's acceptable at home and and yeah making sure you're pulling your weight. Um, it was a lot easier when when they were just a really little bub because you know just they sort of just blob there for a while. But once they're once they're walking around, it's um yeah it, it takes a lot of time, which is you know which is awesome. Um, but yeah just makes it hard it's true man i reckon if there's if there's one bloke who could maybe justify it it's it's well it's people like you and and brent so uh for for everyone listening my introduction to you well uh, the first introduction i'm pretty sure the first time we met was that run that we were speaking yeah, about and I, I remember you telling me that you did a little bit of netball coaching then and i was like oh yeah cool like that's that's interesting netball coach and i i didn't think too much of it and then that was well before I knew anything about memberships and um, just that way of living. And I'd spoken to Brent a little bit, who has a membership in the world of, of swimming, as we said. And I, I just assumed that Brent was a kind of guy, I mean, I just assumed that he wasn't that interested in making any money, wasn't that interested in working a full-time job. And as a result, he was just going to stick to the membership. And then as we got closer, I started to ask a few more questions and hear about the fact that he was going pretty well with it. And it just blew my mind how little he had to work to make the amount of money that he was making. I, I was absolutely baffled because my introduction or, or my understanding of work life up until that point was essentially just, hey, you go you go to a job that you love or, you know, that you can tolerate, you make the money, you put it in like a high interest saving account, which is, I mean, both really good advice. But the idea of there being any other way to work was was really foreign to me. So I heard about Brent and then Brent spoke with like a, a lot of respect about what you're doing, obviously, um, in the world of netball, which I'll, I'll let you give people a little bit of a rundown because I think a lot of people are probably in my shoes. It seems like a foreign concept. These idea of memberships are, are a little bit different. It's something I haven't really spoken about that much on on here before because um, it's obviously a, a, a separate thing to this, but um, something that I've been trying to navigate since I, I was picking your brain about it about three and a half, four years ago. But what was the what was sort of your journey? Because you you had the journalism background, didn't you? So were you you were originally working full time as a journalist, and then 
I'd love to hear if you if you could take the baton from here, just a little bit about what you were doing and some about the transition into um, the the membership style of coaching that you're doing now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I, I mean, I started my working career. I studied journalism at, at uni, and then when I finished uni, I went straight into working for local newspapers. So worked for Leader. Um, down at Mornington and then, you know, sort of moved around a few different leading newspapers, which just, you know, local papers, which I absolutely loved. Um, you know, just the variety of got to, you got to do sport, you got to do police rounds, you got like it was just, you know, an incredible um, experience and just a grounding in the industry, I guess. Um, didn't pay a lot, but it was, uh, yeah, I, I loved it. And then from there ended up um, moving on to the Herald Sun um, to work in their online sport team, and these were in the day in the days when online was barely a thing. Um, you know, I think the Herald Sun online department was like a little bunker. You know, three floors below the all the other journos and everything. And basically, like, their job was just to upload the newspaper from you know overnight to go up at midnight. Like, there was no such thing as like breaking news online or anything like that. Everything was reserved for the paper very different to now where it's like you know everything's on within minutes um so yeah worked at the Herald Sun and then sort of got a job within their their online um sport I guess you'd say events team so we'd sort of cover things like the things that weren't um on all year round so like the Ashes and the Oz Open and um Formula One, Olympics, um, Tour de France, like those sort of big events. So, yeah, got to basically watch watch sport for a, for a living and, and do you know online coverage for um, for those events, which was again amazing. Um, and yeah, I think I was there for sort of three four years, and in the end, it was sort of my my netball coaching that I guess probably um, pulled me away from that. It just like. I mean, you can imagine like being on the Olympics and the Tour de France, the the time that you're working is, um, you know, it was almost like shift work at times. And I just found that really tough um, to balance that with my with my passion for netball coaching. Just, you know, I, you, you, I always say you, like, you commit to a netball or you commit to coaching something, you commit to players and, um, you know, that comes first. Um, you, you, you make that commitment and, and you sort of, I feel like you, you really need to honour it. So, yeah, I just found it. Tougher and tougher and tougher to balance it. So ended up sort of stepping away from the old son and doing freelance. Um, so did a little bit of sport, did a lot of real estate um, writing, um, which I was still doing up until a couple of years ago, just a little bit on the side. Um, and yeah, really enjoyed that. Enjoyed that flexibility. Um, you know, had a good stable of clients, and, and really enjoyed um, you know just being able to do my own thing and 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 work from home as much as anything else. Everyone always said, like, you know, how did you cope with COVID? And I said, well, I was, you know, I was doing COVID five years before COVID happened. Kind of thing. It's like, you know, working on your own. Yeah, I really enjoy it. I don't, I don't mind working, um, working, you know, by myself. And I guess, you know, coaching is kind of the outlet where I get out and, and see people and interact with people at the end of the day, I suppose. Um, but yeah, so while I was while I was still freelancing, I. I sort of had this little idea in the back of my head about thinking about putting something out there for to help, you know, to help netball coaches basically. I was at quite a large club um, and I'd sort of worked my way up through um, the coaching ranks. I guess I should say like I used to play, I played um, I played locally and then I played at a state level um, and then I played under-23s, I played for Australia. So, um, you know, had 
really enjoyed netball and sort of got roped into coaching. I actually got roped in, um, I think I was 23 and I was on the way back from nationals on the plane and I just happened to be sitting next to my coach and she sort of, you know, I was a captive audience for two hours. So while I was there, she she sort of floated the idea of coaching a team because they were looking for coaches and I sort of thought, oh, I don't really know if I'm, you know, I don't know what I'd offer the girls, but I'll give it a go. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was 2007 and now, you know, 16 years later, I've sort of been coaching nonstop and, um, have, you know, now I coach at um, state league level or VNL level, which is, you know, for those who don't know netball, I guess it's sort of the the VFL um, of, of netball, I guess. Um, and, yeah, I just came back from nationals um, a couple of weeks ago, um, assistant coaching with the Victorian under-17s team. So, yeah, I've really enjoyed my coaching journey. But, yeah, as I said, when I was in Clubland, um, we are always sort of getting asked, um, you know, can you come and show the coaches, you know, your centre pass setups or your defensive setups and come and help coach them. And, um, you know, it's just hard to to give um I mean you help as much as you can but hard to give your time all the time like you've only got so many hours in the day so I was always like you know is there a way that we could record this to um you know so that all coaches could access it at any time and so that that idea was always in the back of my head and um yeah one day I just sort of thought you know what I'll, I'll get a camera and um and a little bit of equipment and start um filming some of this stuff and, and putting it all together and you know, put it into a website format, and um, and yeah, that was that was the genesis of the netballcoach.com um, right there. So yeah, you know, took took a, a fair bit of time to put it all together and film up to get a, a decent bank of, of videos and and everything ready to go. But um, yeah, launched in twenty I think twenty seventeen, um, and yeah, now I've been going for for six years, and it's. Um, yeah, it's been it's it's been an amazing journey. Sort of started with you know a little over a hundred videos, and now we've got five hundred uh, five hundred plus. We've got um, you know drills, sessions, all video based. So that um, I guess the biggest challenge is always um, how people like to learn, and a lot of people like to see coaches actually coaching it, so they can see how the drill is coached. And so that's always been the focus is sort of letting them almost giving them like a backstage pass to um, to a coaching session with, um, you know, with a, an experienced or an elite coach. And, um, yeah, you know, got subscribers from from all over the world um, who, who've signed up. And, um, yeah, I think it's just, uh, I mean, the internet and, and online has obviously been an, an amazing tool to, um, you know, to share that netball knowledge um, and, you know, hopefully grow the game and, and, and improve netball globally. Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting to hear. It's interesting to hear as well about how people in the membership space get started. Like uh, to hear you speak about how it came out of a practical need from the coaching world that it was actually a resource that you could see other people would really benefit from. It's interesting yeah. to hear because I've I've noticed a lot of people in the membership world, and to a degree, I feel like myself when I started, I was coming more at it from a, a lifestyle perspective. I like the idea of. Yeah not necessarily, you know, being paid on an hourly rate. So from that business perspective, I was like, oh, that that makes a lot of sense. But uh, ironically enough, now I'm getting ready to run another marathon and I feel like I've fallen back in love, not just with running, but actually trying to, you know, help people navigate their way through it. It, it sort of yeah. starts to become a bit more of a, a bigger thing. But in the running world, there's programs and um, guidance that seem to have existed for a long time, but it seems like what what you've done with a netball coach, it's it well to me, like correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost seems unheard of. Yeah, it's very strange because it's it's such a practical thing. Like it's a 
I mean, it's, there's so many there's so many things that I'm curious to pick your brain about. I guess I'll work through it one by one. But um, the the fact that you've got athletes and coaches coming from all over the world is a, a pretty good sign that your yeah, your resources is really um, you know it, it's taking a what do you say? It's got a, a, a real footing. There's obviously a real need for it, but I had no idea that it was so new. Like I know you're, you're six years in now. For some reason, I thought that uh, it was it was much older than it was. But you started coaching in 2007, so you already had essentially 10 years of knowledge, experience, yeah. and expertise up your sleeve. So you probably came in with, uh, I guess, a little bit of respect and authority, to say the least, um, when it came to putting together the drills. But I'm always fascinated to know, even with that. To, to speak to people who have started memberships, the the start of it always seems to be the scariest part because obviously you said you kickstarted with a hundred. I think you said you kickstarted with a hundred drills, but yeah, about a hundred. Yeah. But there's no guarantee that once you launch that, there's going to be any real take up. So how did the um how did the actual like beginning begin? If that makes sense, how did you get the ball rolling on a membership or get the word out there? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like. It, just to, I guess, to backtrack a bit, like, you know, you said I've been coaching for 10 years, but, you know, one of the biggest hurdles I probably had to get over was was sort of, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, a, a, a percentage of, of the coaching fraternity in Victoria know me and, and I've been in the sort of the, um, the VNL or state league coaching space for a little while. But, you know, at the end of the day, I was sort of like, you know, who am, who am I really? Like, am I, you know, am I, you know, Will people actually, you know, buy into what I'm, um, you know, what I'm putting out there? And will they actually enjoy my content and, and um, you know, actually sort of, I guess, believe what I'm, believe what I'm saying and believe that I know enough about netball? Like, so yeah, I sort of, I don't know, maybe felt like a little bit of an imposter for a while. So that was just something I had to, um, had to get over, I suppose, when I when I put it out there. And yeah, I mean, I just. Um, I guess I had no no guarantees or no um, no certainty that it, that it would um, go off and that people would um, sort of sign up to it. But just um, yeah, you know, put it out there, um, built a little bit of a following on social media, and then um, and you know, just just put it out into the universe. And, and I don't know, I guess you know, at, at the time there probably wasn't you know, I mean, there's there's been similar or other programs that have come out since, but at the time there probably wasn't anything that that coaches had seen that, that really kind of targeted the kind of things that they needed in their day-to-day coaching. Like you ask, um, you know, most coaches, you know, what they what they most need and they're just like, we just need drills. We need drills. Like they, they, they just want drills to fill their training sessions and, and so that they've got, you know, some new and engaging stuff to take to their teams every week. And I guess, it, you know, at the time, it, um, you know, club, clubs and coaches were trying it and it was hitting a bit of a sweet spot and, and, and were sort of, spread a little bit and um and yeah coaches just sort of um came on board yeah so it's mostly a, a coach's tool like you don't have players signing up just for a, a little bit of extra assistance and guidance so like what what's the actual because i've seen your website and i've seen how uh, it actually breaks down what you sell like i see it's uh, optional to individuals but um i don't understand the structure of like netball clubs very well it, from from what i see yeah. on your side it looks as though most netball clubs might have a, a number of coaches who can benefit from from a program like what what you're offering. Yeah, it's definitely targeted at coaches. I mean, I know there are some players who who have signed up, you know, because it's got footwork drills and things that they can do themselves at home. But yeah, I mean, it's predominantly targeted at coaches. Like the the content's very much 
you know, it's it's a coach on camera explaining the drill, but then also explaining the coaching points and 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 picking out things that the players are doing and saying, you know, you might coach it in this way or look for these cues to sort of, you know, step in and coach your players. So, um, yeah, very much targeted at, um, at, you know, how to help coaches not just, not just take the drill to training, but also be able to coach their players through it. So, um, yeah, I mean, the structure is, you know, um, the majority of coaches just sign up for themselves, but then there's also, um, club subscriptions and club options for, um, clubs, you know, like some clubs, um, you know, have five coaches. Some clubs, some clubs have you know fifty coaches that that are coaching. Like it's a, and it's an amazing. Like if you don't realize how big netball is until you start, um, you know, hearing from clubs and seeing how big some of these clubs are, and just the the number of kids and coaches that are playing. And yeah, it's just amazing. So yeah, I mean, there, you know, there's options for for big clubs to you know provide the resource for all of their coaches, um, and you know, upskill their coaches. Um, I guess yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. It's two really interesting scenes you're involved in. Like the the journalism one, there's there's so much that I would love to talk to you about there as well because I was actually doing a little bit of reading about that today because I, I hear, I don't know if you've heard, but I saw that Vice has pretty much, or New York Times wrote an article to say that Vice are on the brink of bankruptcy. They're, they're trying to sell. And it just opened up a whole can of worms or a whole heap of questions about, um, uh, I guess, I guess revenue models for big companies like that. And I know that in the world of journalism, there's uh, membership equivalents with things like Substack, where the the viewers or the readers come on and support the actual uh, uh, creator of whatever content it is that you're taking in. Because, um, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say that mainstream media is dead by any means, but it, it, definitely the way that they seem to raise funds and make their money seems to be changing in a pretty big way. But to to go from that, you were saying it was at times a lot like shift work to going into what you're doing now, where I know. When it's your baby and you, you can put as much or as little time into it as as you like, it can become almost almost obsessive. If you're anything like me, where there's constantly something to work on, there's constantly something to adjust and make and edit, and not only that, there's there's uh, constantly potential ideas that might or might not work. Like you're never short of um, something to to put your time and attention towards. But from a, a sort of a mental perspective just transitioning from that world of journalism which was very much shift work to to gradually doing your own thing like how did, how did you go with that transition because obviously I know it was you said even up until a couple of years ago you were still writing for um you know a couple of clients but I mean that that transition had well and truly already started there did you did you have trouble with that because because one thing I still wrestle with to be honest is like if I've got everything that I want to get done in a day there's there's no guarantee that just because I work more in a day, it means I make more money, which is a very foreign concept. Some days I can do nothing and make more than a day where I work for 12 hours, <laughs> which I, I really struggle with um, uh, in the moment. How did you go with that whole experience? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I guess for me it's it's never just been about, you know, I'm sure for you as well, like it's, you know, it's not just about the money for me. It was just like wanting the flexibility to be able to pursue my coaching and and be able to give, you know, everything I could to that because that was, you know, I've always said like and, and when, you know, kids ask about, you know, for career advice and that sort of thing, I say just, you know, whatever you enjoy and you're passionate about, like you're far better off, you know, pursuing that than you are, you know, a job that you think is going to, you know, is going to 
make your squillion dollars or look good or, or whatever, like, you know, follow what you're passionate about and then, you know, just see where you land and think you'll find you'll be a lot happier. So, you know, that was, that was, I mean, that's why I went to freelance instead of the, um, instead of sort of full-time normal um, work and, um, and yeah, and it, so I guess probably not, not too much of an adjustment then going to um, what I'm doing now with the, with the netball coach and, and creating content for that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely an adjustment and, my, you know, my wife would probably, um, I guess you, it's kind of accessible all hours of the day. Like last night I got home from um, from state league coaching at about midnight and, you know, before I went to bed there was a couple of, um, you know, subscribers that, that just needed something um, something needed to be sorted out with their account. So, you know, I'm doing that at, at midnight kind of thing. Like it's it's odd hours sometimes and, um, you know, kind of have to be flexible around that. But then at the other end of it, you know, there's flexibility as far as, you know, looking after our, um, looking after our toddler on certain days and, and being around the house and being available to, to him and, um, and also, you know, being able to jet off at 4.30 if I need to or 4 o'clock if I need to leave early to get to coaching or something. So, you know, I guess pros and cons to, um, pros and cons to both, I suppose. But, yeah, not, I guess, not too much of a, of a difficult transition from, from freelance journalism to this. Just, um, you know, yeah, different different times of day, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like I guess that slow transition is sort of just gradually uh, it gives you a little bit of callus or a little bit of flexibility or, or at least some some idea of what it is that you're stepping into. Um, I, like the, I like what you said about the idea of it being uh, uh, something just to create a little more time for you just to be able to focus more specifically on your coaching. So like ironically, like the idea of creating a membership like this gives you more time to – uh, focus on the structural part like it, when you say that I've got no idea like obviously um you know Jock up my mate he's uh, uh, uh sort of taken a leaf out of your book just in a slightly different field with football and he's um started doing the the footy coach which I'm sure you've seen and uh, one thing that I've been really interested in just talking to him because he's a few years into his journey now is just how all-consuming that world of coaching can be and it's given me a little bit more of a, an appreciation for the role of what a coach actually does and to hear about not only game structures but dealing with individuals and emotions and um, highs and lows and uh, it's I mean I'm, I'm such a, a novice at it that I, I wouldn't even know what goes into planning a session or planning a game day but is that what you mean like when you're uh, trying to create some more time for you to actually be able to focus on the coaching side of of netball like what, what does that side of the the work look like for you? Yeah, well, I mean, look, I guess it might be sort of pertinent to, to talk about what my week looks like and, you know, like I'm like Monday's the night off, Tuesday's some nights I'm, I'm out watching some of our um, development players playing when I can. Wednesday night is is match night for State League, so I'm, you know, I'm um, heading off at 5.30 and not getting home till midnight in at the State Netball Centre. We've got three teams and I coach two of them. So, um, yeah, Wednesday night, then Thursday night is footy netball so um our, our, the club that i coach at down in the southeastern suburbs we've got training down at dingley um, which is tonight um yeah friday nights um usually hopefully a night off although when i had um the last few months while i've been involved with the under 17 state team friday night was a training night every second week alternating with sunday mornings um so yeah saturday's match day for um for footy netball so for that 
southeastern team, and then yeah, Sunday morning, some Sunday mornings for state team. Sunday evening is um, is state league coaching for Hawks, where I'm uh, um, the head coach there. Um, and yeah, then do it all again the next week. So it's sort of you know five or six coaching sessions at different places um, throughout the week. So it's kind of all consuming. Like it's you know initially when I started in, in twenty uh, sorry two thousand and seven, it was. You know, one team just coach on a Sunday and then coach on a Tuesday night. But, you know, sort of you get pulled into this little bit and pulled into that little bit and, oh, would you mind coaching this? And, oh, would you have a look at doing this? And, you know, it's it's hard to say no because, you you know, you, you see how much the kids, um, how much, you know, the, the players want it and need it and how much the clubs, you know, clubs are just crying out for people to put their hands up for coaching, not just in netball but in all sports. Like it's so hard to get people to volunteer these days. Um, and you know, people, you know, people are time poor and people are busy. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I certainly, um, never made a lot of, <laughs> you certainly don't get into, um, to coaching local sport to, to make money. It's very much a, um, you know, a passion, but one that I, I, you know, feel really strongly about. And, um, you know, through all those, um, those, what, 16 years, I've only been at, um, three clubs. Um, like, so it's, you know, I sort of go there and, and and stay there and get more and more and more involved, much to my wife's horror. Um, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's 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 definitely um, it's definitely a passion. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's a similar conversation with with Jocker just to hear about like he's coaching down here at Geelong Falcons and the amount of time that he's putting in there. Um, yeah, it's just it's mind blowing, and I think that's where the exposure to the amount of work that a coach does. Because I always gave coaches, like in the running world especially, it's very rarely that coaches probably get the credit that they deserve. Like one of my good mates, yeah. Adam Didick, he's a coach of of Jess Stenson, who's Commonwealth Games champion, um, like a two twenty five marathon. She's unbelievable, and a big part of that success is not just her own talent and hard work, but just the the work that actually Adam has has put into her of understanding her as an athlete and, you know, the highs, yeah. the lows, the emotions, everything else that we've sort of touched on that's probably a big part of the netball world as well. But it's a it's a I don't know how, how you feel in the netball world, but it's it's often from what I can understand, a fairly thankless job. Like a lot of the love, a lot of the kudos yeah. goes towards the players rather than, you know, the brains behind it. Oh look, I mean, you know, I mean at the end of the day it's about the players and I mean the, the payoff is when you see them um, you know, achieving things either as a team or individually, whether it's a selection thing. I mean, but, you know, some of the, the best memories are just seeing players, you know, achieving things outside netball and, um, but, you know, giving them a positive place to come and enjoy their sport is is really important. It's a big part of what we try and do at the clubs that I'm at is that, you know, it's it's inclusive and you feel like you're, you're part of something that's, you know, bigger than just, turning up and putting your runners on each week, you really feel like you're part of a, a team and, and a club that's, um, you know, that values you, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's the time that you're at the courts and that you're, you're doing your coaching, but, yeah, you don't you don't sort of factor in the time that you spend planning it and thinking about it outside. Like last week, last Wednesday, State League, we, you know, we didn't have a great night. We lost, um, both of my teams lost in games that, you know, we'd sort of set ourselves for and, I mean, I, yeah, it felt, it felt like it took two or three days. It, like, you felt like you were thinking about it for the next two, three days. Like, you know, where did we go wrong? Where, where are we prepared? Like, what, you know, what can we do differently? So it's, it's very much, it's very all consuming. Um, and, you know, as much as it'd be, I 
find it amazing when coaches say they can sort of switch off and com- compartmentalize it all. But yeah, when you when you're doing it, um, you know, as much as some of us are, you, it, it definitely um, uh, it definitely eats up your thoughts a lot of the time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that's true. What are you so so in the evenings, mo- almost every evening of the week, apart from a couple, you're you're pretty much going down there to coach or watch or just observe that world of netball. But during the day, obviously, you got your your little guy um, on a, a Tuesday, I think you said. But in and around all that, like, what what are you doing with your spare time? Because I think um, the the other side of of memberships, which I, I have sort of touched on, is just the amount of flexibility in terms of you can be like you can do what you're doing, you know. Uh, discounting the actual face-to-face coaching from from anywhere so it opens up a whole heap of time in the calendar to feel like when you're not running when you're not cycling like what do you what do you do on a day-to-day basis oh well, I mean to be honest you know I'm just I'm just working I'm just working on the working on the product and working on the business like helping um, members if they've got you know questions or or things that need doing on their on their subscription so um, yeah, like it's you know, and, and obviously you know, constantly trying to put out new content that sort of you know engages coaches and 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 helps coaches with their coaching. So um, yeah, I mean you know it, you sort of think it's going to. I mean, and it is it is a it, it does allow more flexibility with the lifestyle. However, it's I mean I'm certainly working more hours now than what I was when I was you know working forty hours a week as a journo. Um, yeah, because it's you know, it's, it's your baby and it's your business and like you love it. And so, and you, you know, you want, you want the coaches to, um, to love it as well. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of time and, um, you know, in it out of hours work, I guess, to, to make sure that, to make sure that that happens. So, yeah. Yeah. It's funny just the, the different approaches that people have like Brenton, who we've mentioned a few times now, whenever I ask him what he's been up to during the day, I know before I, <laughs> yeah, and I know before I even ask him what his answer is going to be, it's either it's either I've been surfing or I've been angry because the surf's terrible. And uh, I mean, I try and I'm trying to find some middle ground because I feel like I lean towards um, you know what you just described. I'm, I'm I, I fall in love. I get really obsessed. I I really enjoy a, a, a lot of it, apart from you know delete admin from that, which is a big part of it. And I'm, I'm a fairly happy man, but um, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to develop the ability to, <laughs> to be a little more like Brent outside of it. I'm um, uh, uh, my little hobby that it frees me up to, to do. I don't know if you've seen, I've been doing a whole heap of stand up comedy, which I I've sort of fallen in love with over the last couple of years. And, and I mean, it's a sick industry to be involved in, in the sense that, that does nothing for your confidence or your ego, especially as you try to improve. And at least with a membership uh, in the early days, you can work on that and develop it uh, in private and you can just slowly release it. Whereas with comedy, it's been a, uh, the feedback's immediate, which is helpful, but also humiliating <laughs> a lot no, of the time. So much, so much admiration for anyone who gets up on a stage and, and puts themselves out there like that. Like, you know, I know how, nerve-wracking it is doing just public speaking talking about you know talking about netball and talking about topics that you're very comfortable talking about it's still nerve-wracking getting up in front of people so getting up and and putting yourself out there with with jokes you've written yourself is <laughs> yes it's got nothing but admiration for anyone who does that oh man i i remember saying the same thing a couple of years ago and i think um i mean i stand by it because it is a it, it's such a thrill when it goes well it's amazing but when it goes badly you're like i can't I can't leave that there because that was humiliating. My, uh, I used to work at a church. I don't know. I don't know if I, you knew that. I was a youth pastor at City Life Church for a few years, and uh, there, when you speak to a church congregation, 
like it's in the very nature of where you are. You have to at least for that hour be a nice person. So no one's going to heckle. No one's going to be nasty. So even if you preach the shittest message, which is irrelevant, not interesting, out of context, people sit there politely. But yeah, comedy is the, the flip side of that where if you get halfway through a joke, like someone could call you a dickhead and throw a beer at you and you just got to try, which never happened at my church. Um, you gotta, you got to just try and navigate your way through. But it's a, it's a very interesting scene. Man, do you um do you ever miss the do you ever miss the journalism world at all? Yeah, I mean, you know, getting getting paid to um, to watch, you know, all their favourite sports, and like, I mean, this time of year in my previous job, uh, or you know, at, at the Herald Sun, like I'd be I'd be doing the NBA finals and just watching watching NBA all day and just doing updates on that. So, like, you know, like that. Yeah, that's dream job really when you think about it. And like I said, working on I did the London twenty twelve Olympics, so I was just you know, I mean I was I was still based in Melbourne, but was just up, you know, overnight um reporting on what was happening in the Olympics. Like it's you know, it was it was an amazing experience and an amazing job. But um yeah, don't miss the hours and um you know, it's just you know, I guess you you I mean you've done a, a, a few different things over over your lifetime. Sometimes you just know when it's the right time and just feel like it's you know, you've been doing it for long enough and it's just time to to try something different and um, you know, take your life in a different direction, I guess. Yeah. It's such a foreign world to me, but as I said, like the last couple of weeks I've I've been interested in it. I don't know if you've been mm. following um the since Elon took over Twitter, obviously they've been releasing the Twitter files and it's it's yeah. been really interesting. I uh I listened to a podcast with Michael Schallenberger who uh, uh yeah, Michael Schallenberger and Matt Taibbi is the other guy. Sorry, that's the guy I was referring to. And I I yeah. never really listened to much uh, uh, like any thoughts of journalism outside of articles that have been written, but in terms of all consuming like in specific regards to what these guys are doing it it sounds like it's a job which i mean it could keep you up at all hours of the day all times of the night just depending on when information's coming out and when there's certain meetings and uh i, I mean it takes a, it sounds like it takes a certain kind of personality to to really uh, thrive in that field totally and i think with you know, with with everything being so instant now, like you know, there's no such thing as like when I, you know, being in local newspapers, the paper came out once a week, and so you'd sort of have your stories and you'd be sitting on them for, you know, sitting on them for four or five days, knowing they were coming out the next week. But you know, now it's it's you know it's twenty four seven, and if you don't if you if you sit on a story, someone else is someone else is breaking it. So the the I guess the pressure to be to be contactable and to be active um, active in the news space you know all day every day like yeah it must be it must be very tough to be a a, a breaking news journal um, in the current landscape because just uh, you know a lot of pressure not to get not to get scooped or not to get you know you don't want to be the last one to the to the trough I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's been interesting. I don't know if you've been following it at all. Like I know I mentioned the the Vice situation, and I saw um, mm. Tucker Carlson. Well, I think he was fired or he quit from Fox, and Don Lemon was fired from CNN. And um, I, I heard oh. just in looking at some of the news today that uh, platforms like BuzzFeed and, and and things have gone bankrupt. It's it, it seems like a very quickly changing industry like I don't know if you have any thoughts on that but it's just something that I've, I've just been fascinated in for the last few days because again I when I was a kid you just bought your newspaper like you said and then as a journalist yeah. you would prepare your articles for the following week and or the following day um, mm. at the latest but but now mm. as you say it really is a breaking news thing I know we've only got a couple of minutes left but um, just for those couple yeah. of minutes like I was I'm keen just from from 
a bloke who's been in the industry a little bit just to to hear your thoughts on that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like I always say to people that when I when I started in local newspapers, which was two thousand and five, like that was probably at the I guess the end of the peak of of you know um, print news. Um, so you know, like our our newspaper um, had an editor, two journo's, photographer, and then a, an entire ad team. Um, and you know, it was probably still you know high performing, profitable. But then you know, within probably three four years, like things were things had changed. Like just, I mean, it's just advertising revenue in the end. Like it just things had started to dry up. You know, purse strings tighten, things start to move online, and you know, by the end of it, it was sort of rather than one editor for a paper and two two journals, you'd sort of have one editor across three papers, and you know, one journal covering two papers, and you know, just things started to become very, um, very tough. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it purely comes down to advertising in, in most cases. And, and you know, the same online now, like, you know, a lot of those huge online um, businesses and companies are, are struggling and, and a lot of them are having to move to, I mean, the Herald Sun obviously is is now, a, or News Limited is now a, you know, subscription model with some advertising, but, you know, very much subscription-based. And, um, yeah, just that that those previous models of, of expecting advertisers to pay up big bucks um, and, and those and running the business off that, I mean, those days are just, um, you know, largely, largely gone. And so, um, you know, the, the industry has changed a lot in the last, you know, 15, um, 20 years. It was kind of just, um, you know, a bit scary to sort of watch it unfolding and wondering when the next round of, um, you know, redundancies were going to be and watching, you know, a lot of those newspapers that we worked on when we were, starting out and now you know closed or they're purely online or um yeah it's a it's a very different landscape for for anyone getting into the industry now yeah that's one thing i heard a lot today it was a a lot of ad revenue talk so is that just uh, pretty much from my understanding they were explaining that because there's so many competitors now like you don't just have the the big newspapers or the big news outlets you've also got like your your daily wires or your um your breaking points style shows which are more internet-based shows that yeah. advertisers are interested in getting on board with as well. Is it is it pretty much just that there's um, such an opportunity to disperse that advertising revenue that it's hard just to justify giving it to, to one particular um, newspaper? Totally. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's not it's not my absolute area of expertise, but you know they've just I think advertisers have just got such big got such so many options now. Like you know, do you get value out of you know, putting your money into a big advertising campaign with a big company or do you get the same value spending less money getting, you know, an influencer or something to yeah. to push it out to their social channels? Like it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, I guess, a rapidly evolving landscape and sort of, you know, um, companies, you know, looking for different ways to get a, a return for, you know, potentially less money, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, yeah, very tough Um very tough and hard work, I think, in the in the advertising landscape. Yeah, it'd probably be a whole other podcast, I'm sure. It's something that I'd be fascinated yeah. to, to pick your brain more about. But, um, mate, I know I've got to go get my little man from daycare. Um, for, for everyone listening, it's uh, – what is it now? It's half past four. We're supposed to record at 9 a.m. this morning, but uh, some painters <laughs> decided to paint just outside my office. <laughs> so he had to push it back. So it means that yeah, we're both a little more limited for time. Hard. Yeah, but uh, mate, appreciate you you jumping on. It was I, I knew it was going to be fun to talk to you. So yeah, thanks for stopping by, and I'll uh, I'll let you I'll let you get out of here. Well, good, Tyus. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, said 
for any netball coaches out there, jump on the netballcoach.com and um, yeah, love to love to hear from any coaches out there as well. Yeah, for sure. I'll link that in the uh, in the show notes below for for anyone interested. So, all right, I'll leave you to it. See you later, everybody. Thanks, guys. Cheers, mate.